and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. We're less than 80 days out from Election Day. As much as we're laser-focused on the politics of this historic campaign season, we shouldn't lose sight of major debates over public policy that have engulfed Harrisburg earlier this summer. What happens under the dome in Harrisburg has a direct effect on not just our Pennsylvania listeners. The outcome of policy debates about how future Pennsylvania elections are administered, for example, these are no doubt going to affect all Americans. So I'm really excited to sit down with the Democratic leader in the State House, Joanna McClinton. Now, as the father of a two-year-old daughter, I got to tell you that Joanna's remarkable journey, it inspires me. She's a role model, and her passion for giving back to her community is infectious. So I'm looking forward to a behind-the-scenes snapshot of what transpired on the floor of the State House in July, what she's hearing on the streets of Philadelphia, and her hopes for Election Day Commonwealth-wide. An elected official from Philadelphia is breaking barriers in Pennsylvania politics. This as the Commonwealth's legislature will be making history, having two female leaders at the helm. Eyewitness News reporter Matt Petrillo has that story. I'm really excited to be the uh, Democratic leader. State Representative Joanna McClinton of Southwest Philly will soon become Pennsylvania's first woman minority leader in the House or Senate. Madam Leader, Joanna McClinton, welcome to my kitchen table. Glad to be at the table with you. Thank you for having me, Ari. Well, thank you for your leadership in every uh, sense of that word. You certainly have had a bumpy few months. Maybe I'm using the wrong adjective. A colorful few months, memorable few months in Harrisburg. But maybe take listeners back to uh, earlier in the summer. We're recording in August of 2022, and the start of the summer was was fairly hot. That's correct. Just in July of 2022, particularly on July the 8th, we were eight days uh, past our budget deadline and finally wrapped up the state budget on the eighth day of July, which was a Friday. And after, you know, being in session past our deadline, a week after we were supposed to already be adjourned for summer break, around five in the afternoon, uh, a rules meeting was called and the bill continued the language to amend the Pennsylvania Constitution, to ban abortion, require voter ID, um, require uh, audits after every election, and a couple other bad ideas, uh, was moved out of that committee without allowing my colleagues to offer amendments to that bill in committee, which is appropriate. They were timely filed, and we were essentially shut down in the Rules Committee. We're not able to do anything except say how awful it was that we could not vote on our amendments. Uh, before the meeting started, uh, a Republican member said uh, he'd like to table the Democratic amendments, and the bill hadn't even been called up, so they were ready to shut us down. It was really, really ridiculous. But what's worse is what happened when we got back to the floor of the House once that bill uh, contained 
the language to ban abortion in Pennsylvania, to require voter ID, to uh, require audits after every election, to make the lieutenant governor office no longer an elected position, but appointed, and to go around the legislature and the governor's veto pen to do our environmental regulations. Once that came out, then we proceeded to debate the bill around 5.30, 6 o'clock. And throughout the evening, which our rules allow us in Harrisburg to vote until 11 o'clock, throughout the evening, members wanted to offer amendments and they were continuously shut down again. And this was a rushed situation, just to give it context. It started the night prior in the Senate with them rushing this through the Republican majority and the same thing happened in the House. And there was a point, and hopefully your listeners will be able able to hear a small snippet where I just had had it. And it was because my colleagues, and I am privileged to be the leader of a caucus of 90 Democrats from across Pennsylvania, were just not being allowed to do our jobs. We weren't allowed to speak. We weren't allowed to amend. We weren't allowed to debate. There were time constraints put on, and we were not even near the 11 o'clock time in which we would have to stop uh, voting. So it was really upsetting, Ari. Well, and just so listeners put that in context, that, that's a Friday night uh, in July. And we also increasingly have lots of national listeners who aren't as familiar with Harrisburg, but it's a full-time legislature, 203 members. But why don't we maybe even take a step further back? You've had a whirlwind decade. It, it just give give listeners a sense of your background and the, everything that's happened since, since well, even 2015, when you, you, you first uh, came to uh, Pennsylvania politics. Absolutely. So as I'm looking back, you know, this time 10 years ago, I was a public defender, had over five years in the office, was doing trial work here in Philly, um, stayed for a few more years. And by the time 2013 rolled around, started working for my state senator in Southwest Philly, Tony Williams, as his chief counsel, uh, went to Harrisburg first for a job interview, uh, had not been to our capital prior, <laughs> went to the Senate floor and could not believe there were so few women and so few uh, people of color um, representing us in the Senate. And, you know, went back downstairs to the office, commenced with the interview and was fortunate enough to get the job. Two years into the career in the Senate, there was a vacancy in my neighborhood and uh, my senator gave me a big elbow nudge. Uh, You know, Joe, you should run. I said, no, thanks. (laughs) You know this when you work in an office, you get to see all the good work that elected officials do that they are you get to witness their leadership you get to see them working across the aisle for their constituents but you also get to see you know the you don't do anything up there and i just said uh, there's no way i could work in harrisburg for my neighbors and then come home and people tell me i'm not doing much <laughs> i said i can't deal with that i'd rather stay behind the scenes but Fortunately, I got out of my own head and my self-doubt and listened to my senator and went ahead and ran for state rep. I was in a special election this time, August of 2015. Just so listeners heard correctly, and I, I didn't know this, your first trip to the state capitol was less than a decade ago? You don't have to tell the whole world. I well, mean, no, I, I just think I think that's even more more remarkable. It's, that's incredible. It's a kitchen table. <laughs> no, but wow. Wow, 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 wow. And then, you know, the other thing also, I, increasingly people just kind of say Philadelphia and often there's a bad things happen in Philadelphia, the former president said, and people just kind of throw a lot of shade on the entire city of Philadelphia. But talk maybe a little about the neighborhoods that you represent, the constituents that you represent, because 
Philadelphia is so incredibly diverse and it is a city of neighborhoods. Absolutely. So I have lived my entire life in Southwest Philadelphia, which is a uh, bright, glowing community that is diverse, that has a variety of families that work very hard, um, that has children playing outside on bikes in the summer when things are much safer. You know, we have lots of block parties every weekend. And I am now serving this community as state rep, and I'm privileged to go into the Cobbs Creek section of West Philly, and also our uh, go beyond, you know, the invisible wall right into Delaware County. And I serve my neighbors both, both in Darby Borough and in Yaden Borough. And these communities are just lovely. I was at a circuit trail in Cobbs Creek, made a post. And before I could say, you know, what all happened at the trail, I just had to say, there's a lot of love in our community because there absolutely is. Being with the parents and their children, watching them do the archery and the, the, the fishing right in our backyard. You know, we had to get in our cars and go anywhere. But like in our backyard at, at Cobbs Creek, we have all of these amazing natural resources and environmental center there with activities for children, horseback riding occasionally. It was just exciting to be reminded that even in tough times, which our city is certainly facing right now, that there are communities and neighborhoods with people who care deeply about each other and are working together to uh, show that love to each other's children. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I'm curious as you're out and about during this recess period, I mean, what, what's, what's top of mind of your constituents, and, you know, I guess broader Philadelphia voters. And you know, we obviously can't talk about policy without talking about politics. And we're less than a hundred days out from uh, this historic election. That's right. That's right. So top of mind, number one is violence. What is being done at the state level to prevent violence and reduce violence? So running into neighbors, I was able to discuss with them some of the measures that we were able to pass in the budget um, for violence prevention programs, talk about how we are for the first time doing a historic investment in schools. And people don't think when you talk about reducing gun violence, like well, what does school funding have to do with anything? Well, everything starts at home, number one. But then once our children leave home, they go to school somewhere. And if their schools have not uh, been updated and invested in and, you know, have teachers that have resources and programs that have activities, then as our children grow up, there can be a cloud of hopelessness around them. And it is my job in Harrisburg to get rid of that cloud, to get rid of the rain, to get rid of the thunderstorm and bring the sunshine into the lives of our community through our children. So we funded our schools in an incredible way in this budget. We got millions of dollars for violence prevention Additionally, we worked very hard to make sure that the projects in our community are getting funded to ensure that they're safe public spaces. Our rec centers are going to be getting uh, improved and renovated. So we talk about that. But in addition to the violence, uh, our families are also talking about, you know, how we can ensure that the costs are going down. And for that, I'd like to thank all of our folks, every single Democrat at the federal government level in D.C. that just passed, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act not long ago. That is going to really help our families as they are at the grocery store, at the pump, the gas station, you know, wherever they are, just be able to better afford our day-to-day necessities. Yeah, I, I think that's truly transformational, and it's probably going to take. It, 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 we're we're going to be seeing the benefits of that legislation, and for that matter, the infrastructure bill, and 
recovery. But it's amazing what what this president of this administration has has passed, and we're going to be seeing the benefits, I think, for a generation to come. Yeah. Um, so with with all this in mind, I, I'm just curious then why and you know, Democrats are not yet in the majority in Harrisburg, but I'm sure if we went to some of your colleagues' districts, they have the same concerns amongst their constituents, and so we can kind of prognosticate what, why, why, why are they focused on these issues that maybe you're not top of mind of, of, of their constituents. And instead they're going after these maybe more flashy social issues that aren't being talked about at kitchen tables. Sure. Well, the first thing you have to do is look at how long Democrats have not been in the majority in Harrisburg. So Democrats have not been in the majority in Harrisburg. Republicans have been in control for 25 of the last 30 years. And that is no exaggeration. And so when you think about them being in charge, what have they been able to do that favors them? Number one, they set the rules for the floor. Um, They set the rules for our debate. They set the rules on whether or not we can amend bills. and, And they, of course, determine what types of bills they want to run. They also, for the last uh, 20 years, controlled the the redistricting process. So that means they were able to look at population trends and um, at many points decide to draw legislative districts that favored Republican incumbents. And so when you see that, then it gets harder and harder for us to be able to uh, topple that power and be able to take seats back and flip them. If they've already been drawn in a way to to keep a Republican there, no matter who it is, it's a little bit harder. But what we will see this November is uh, very enthusiastic. You will see people who are concerned about Republicans in charge because the Republicans who are in charge today, even if some of them are remaining from 20 years ago, their values and their goals and their means to a quote unquote end, it's very different. We're talking about going from traditional conservatism to radicalism. Being able to, you know, wanting to try to control women to reduce ability for us to make decisions about our own body and our own health care. We're talking about uh, these issues that are just outrageous, that have people who are uh, very proud to identify themselves as pro-life being offended morally and consciously. So that being said, I do believe that this fall we're going to see a lot of people make their decision on governor, on the empty United States Senate seat, and even at the bottom of the ticket for state rep on a party that they can trust. We see what they've been able to accomplish in Washington, D.C., and give us an opportunity to do the same in Harrisburg. I want to unpackage uh, what you alluded to, and uh, we certainly had previous episodes about the the saga, uh, if I can use that term, of the redistricting process. But finally, there are lines that are reflective of uh, the changes in the state's population. And maybe you can speak to that, as you obviously put on a lot of road miles and you have a sense of each of the the regions of the Commonwealth. But, you know, I, th- I think there are going to be, uh, hopefully it happens this November, but certainly by November 2024, there's going to be some major changes because of these lines. That's right. So I uh, was able to be a part of the Legislative Redistricting Commission this term as the leader for my caucus. And the main objective was very clear at the beginning of the process. And that was number one, transparency. We had more public hearings than any redistricting commission ever. Um, we heard from citizens, regular neighbors from all over the state on what their preferences are regarding the communities where they live, some from rural Pennsylvania, some from uh 
urban communities, some from the suburbs. They came, they testified, they talked about issues of importance. And we were able to also hear from stakeholders. We heard from different uh, nonpartisan organizations, not any party, no, not a Democratic Party, not a Republican Party, but we heard from nonpartisan uh, uh, good government organizations who uh, provided their perspective. And all of them mostly said that we never have had a fair map in recent history. And that as a result, Pennsylvania voters are not able to choose their representatives. Representatives are choosing voters through a gerrymandering process. And so as a result, we were able to work very hard and make sure that the map was simply fair. That, you know, as you just said, you know, the population shifts where we've had a lot of neighbors move from Western Pennsylvania um, and even up in the T area here in PA where they moved into Southeast Pennsylvania or where we've just seen a population growth from outsiders moving into the suburbs in Southeastern Pennsylvania. We wanted to make sure that there were uh, fair distributions of people. And most importantly, we want to make sure that as it's a fair opportunity, that this is not a map where you can predict who's going to be in control. This is literally a map where it's the will of the voters. This is an elastic map. This is one where it will not be shocking to see Democrats in control one session and Republicans in control the next session and Democrats in control the next session. This is a map where it is not, uh, nobody's got their thumb on the, the scale, so to say. So it's exciting to see, you know, neighbors be able to just take a moment and figure out who they want to represent them and where there are different organizations, you know, building their own political power, whatever it may be. Um, and the most thing is that it's very exciting to see that it was fair, it's constitutional, um, it reflects the changes in our population. Our uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court, every justice upheld it um, just uh, in February, early March. And so, you know, we look forward to seeing what the will of the people will be this November. I want to go back with, you, you used the phrase, PA voters, Pennsylvania voters choosing their reps. And, you know, increasingly, I can always speculate why this podcast is more and more national listeners, but I, I think that folks are realizing that, yes, the United States Senate, yes, the White House, these are incredibly important contests that folks should go online and they should donate and they should be focused on federal politics. But increasingly, so much of what we hold dear happens in state capitals across the country, in particular, the basis, the bedrock of America's democracy. So go back to using your phrase, which you were using in a different context with Pennsylvania voters choosing their reps. You know, there is this whole concept of an independent state legislature doctrine that hopefully we never see, but we very well could see in 2024 is the Electoral College's meeting. And I guess I'm just curious, these themes of democracy, these very weighty themes, if you could share with listeners a little about your perspective on this and about you know, your colleagues and some of what you've seen, frankly, on the other side of the aisle. Absolutely. So I will just let everyone know, as the leader for our caucus, the you know first official action I saw from across the aisle and by official actions, I mean letters with signatures and Republican leadership, all of them signing, was to our uh, congressional delegation in uh, December of 2020, stating that there were irregularities in our November election and that there should not be a certification of the election and that electors should not be sworn in or start the process. And so... Our, you know, Speaker of the House, uh, the majority leaders in both chambers, the Senate and the House, they all made efforts to throw all of our votes out. 
all of our folks out. And the irony that I and other people have said is just like the entire House of Representatives was on the ballot with President Biden and former President Trump. So how are we only trying to throw the votes out for president? Why are we not all just saying do the whole thing again if you're convinced that, you know, nobody was able to participate fairly and freely in the election? And we know it's all a lie. It's a part of the big lie. It's a part of the lie that the president started a long time before people cast their ballots. He was sowing seeds of doubt into the election process early on into the fall. And even once polls closed, started to talk about how he was ahead in Pennsylvania, um, a swing state. You know, our state swings back and forth where the will of the voters on these statewide elections, uh, it varies. Sometimes it's Democratic, sometimes it's Republican. It varies. And so I know that as the state capital, we are able to protect voters. We are able to defend democracy. We are able to make sure women have access to reproductive health. We're able to ensure that our schools are fairly funded. So yes, while we know Washington, D.C. is critically important for national and international affairs, our basic day-to-day things that affect us are happening under the dome in Harrisburg. Even when we look at how we are stagnant at the minimum wage of $7 and a quarter, we as state legislators can do all the necessary steps to raise the wage. We can protect your ability to vote by mail. We can implement even new measures so that it's even a more secure process so there can be less doubt and hopefully less lies from Republican leadership in the state capitol. Well, you've been very, very generous with your time. And I want to wind down with just Two questions, more open-ended, one piggybacking off the other. So three of your colleagues are seeking higher office, two for the lieutenant governor position, one Democrat, one Republican, and then one who's the nominee to uh, replace Congressman Mike Doyle out in Pittsburgh. So wondering if you can speak, you could probably speak more so to Summer Lee and Austin Davis than Carrie Del Rosso, but if you can share with listeners a little of your perspective on uh, uh, your three colleagues and uh, what's what's coming up in their, their futures. Yes. So it is very exciting to see any of our colleagues decide that they want to throw their hat in for other opportunities of public service. I am always thrilled when lawmakers decide that they want to become lawmakers in another body because they already have experience being a lawmaker. So Representative Summer Lee has been in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives for four years, and I'm excited to see her be in the contest electorally to be um, the first African-American woman to ever represent the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the United States Congress. Uh, Representative Lee is truly compassionate. She is very hardworking. And most importantly, she is able to uh, be so relatable through her life experiences growing up in Western Pennsylvania, going to the Pennsylvania State University and Howard Law School in D.C., Uh, She has uh, been around and seen and not just seen, but has worked hard organizing before she ever became a politician, so to say. Uh, She worked hard organizing, listening, knocking doors. And I know that when she gets to Washington, D.C., she will have the heart of the people and their best interests uh, with every vote on her agenda, uh, agenda for the priority and making sure that Western Pennsylvania is represented. 
As we look to Lieutenant Governor, talk about other uh, possibilities for history. Austin Davis is in the running to become the first African-American Lieutenant Governor in Pennsylvania history. Representative Davis has been a state representative for six years. So certainly he has what it takes in terms of being able to preside over the Senate, to be the chair of the pardons board. Those are the things that Lieutenant Governor Office is in charge of day to day. He has the relationships um, certainly within our caucus in the Senate to do a very good job in supporting a Josh Shapiro administration. So it's exciting. It is very exciting to see our members um, put their hat in the ring for opportunities to continue public service. So last question, as we're uh, recording in August, we're, we're uh, publicly wish you a happy birthday and celebrate not just the 40 years and incredible four decades, uh, but the next 40 years. And just curious as you look, you know, to the extent you have a crystal ball. I mean, what, what what do you see over the next 40 years for your future, for the city, for the Commonwealth? Well, thank you kindly for the birthday wishes. When I think about the number 40 and how many um, times that like, gets used as a milestone and a pinnacle um, and ref- reflects so many changes in different uh, historical contexts, I am thrilled to reach a personal milestone here. But certainly, we have to look at the future. And when I see the next 40 years in Pennsylvania, what are the things that I see that are just tremendous? I see uh, a woman governor in Pennsylvania. I see a United States um, senator from Pennsylvania who's a woman. I see for our nation, a woman uh, president in the next 40 years. Um, And in Philadelphia, we all, of course, once we get through the midterm here with these very important races, the governorship, United States Senate seat, every state representative across across Pennsylvania on the ballot. When we get through 2022 here in Philadelphia, as we get ready for the next 40 years, we're going to be looking for a new mayor. And that is a critical role in ensuring there is an advocate to get resources to our city and a visionary to take our city to the next level. So I am filled with hope as I interact with young people in my community. And I know that the energy they have, whether it's on TikTok or in real life, um, they are going to ensure that we have a better place to live in and raise our children and future generations. So thank you. Amen. Madam Leader, thank you very much for your time and more so what you're doing in the trenches each and every day. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, PAPoliticalPodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week.